Welcome. You are now listening to the Anything Goes podcast with your hosts, Greg and Alex. Check. Check. One, two, one, two, three, five, twelve, nine, one, four, zero, three. Welcome, 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 welcome to another episode of the Anything Goes podcast. We have a special one today because we are joined by the man himself, Andy Dubitsky. One of the greatest guys going. And Andy, I got one thing to say to you. Ah, yeah. And welcome to the Anything Goes podcast. I am one half of your host, Greg, a.k.a. Crazy Greg, a.k.a. Pooh Bear. And we are joined by the other half. Me. What's up? What's up? (laughs) So how's it going? It's going pretty good. Yeah. Can't complain. So uh, we're continuing with this hometown hero stretch. Mm -hmm. Staten Island, New York, Shaolin. That's right. And uh, we got one of my best friends in the entire world, Mm -hmm. Andy Dubitsky. One of my favorite people. Yeah. I mean, if you know him, he's your favorite person too. Yes. And uh, I use the numbers today, 91403, because that's where he's living these days. That's right. In the uh, Sherman Oaks section of California, mm-hmm. right by Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And that's who he is, Mr. Hollywood. Yeah, that's right. Living it big time. <laughs> so we'll get into his interview, and he gives us like a behind-the-scenes, in-depth look of what life is like for a uh, for an aspiring actor. Yeah, yeah. It's and uh, pretty cool. That's what he's doing these days, mm-hmm. uh, doing his thing out in California, living the Hollywood life. Yep. In the TV and the movie industry. Yeah. So uh, Andy's doing his thing. He uh, is a fellow New Yorker. Moved out there twelve years ago. Mm-hmm. Right when I met you. Literally. Yeah. Like I think he moved, like a month before. I met you. Right. Which is funny because I would hang with him a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah. So it actually may have been meant to be because if he didn't move, you might have been with him that night. Yeah. But uh, yeah, who knows? So who knows if we would have met because I would have been hanging with him. Mm -hmm. Who knows if we would have been the same place as you. That's right. And if we would have met. You never know. So Andy Dubitsky, I blame you for this. (laughs) No, I blame you for this. This is your fault, Andy. Andy, you know. He takes my side in this. Yeah, so he does. He thinks I'm crazy for being with your crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all kidding aside, Andy is one of the most loyal, yes, like down to earth, the best guy you can ever have on your side. Mm-hmm. He'll always be there for you no matter what. Yeah, definitely. And he is one of the guys that I know that fly home back to New York like multiple times a year. Yeah, yeah. And he'll... Make it a point if something big's happening in someone's life, or even it's not even that big, it's just important to them. He'll make it a point, like, I'll be there, don't worry. And he does. Yeah. And that's tough, you know, having to, for anyone, just having to book a round trip from one side of the country to the, literally, one side of the country to the other. That's, you know, to just be able to be like, I'll be there. Four times, five times a year, I'm there. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so that sums up Andy, mm-hmm. you know, just like that. He makes sure to come home, make time for his family and friends. Mm-hmm. And a quick story, recently, he just had a friend of his pass, Mm -hmm. 
and he had a vacation booked and instantly canceled his vacation mm-hmm. to to fly home to uh pay respect to his friend mm-hmm. be there for you know yeah the other friends surrounding and family and all that stuff and that you know that is who, who andy is you actually said it in the interview um but i won't go into it because you know you're going to hear it in the interview in a minute but uh you actually said you know he's someone where you could just say hey i need you no questions asked and he'll be there and you refer to something in it in the interview so i won't get into that but <laughs> right it's so true we could call him right now we call him at three in the morning his time and say hey listen we're you know something serious is going on we need you you just can't ask any questions Okay, I'm on the next flight. For and he sure. Would be here. Yep. Yeah. Without 3, a doubt. 3,000 miles away, he'll be here quicker than somebody 30 minutes away. Like, literally. Yes. We've had this conversation so many times. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, you'll hear. I refer to him as a certain scene in a movie, and that's how I explain him to everybody. Yeah. So, check out the interview. One of the quick fact about Andy Dubitsky, and if you know me, one of the biggest parts of my life, mm-hmm. who I am, is an athlete and a softball player. Okay. And he is the person who got me into softball. That's right. He is. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be playing softball. That's it's so I all I can't even imagine you not playing softball. Yeah. Like And that's a big part of my life. I'm yeah. a championship player. Multiple. Yeah, multiple championships. Uh run the team, coach the team, manage the team. And uh if it wasn't for him, the wackos wouldn't exist. Yes. You know, I love my wackos. I am yeah. probably a bigger wacko. Than some of the guys actually on the team. Right. Well, you're more dedicated. Oh, I absolutely yeah. am. I'm at every game. You are. It's I enjoyable. C- I love baseball. So yeah, <laughs> I actually I do the book. Yeah, you know the game. Yeah. I do. And there's times I say certain things, and I'm like, yeah, you got to change this, or you know, this person does this, and they're like, oh shoot, you know what, Alex, you you're right. So it's cool being there and, and being the girl on the bench, and the guys respect you know my opinion on things. So. Yep. And uh, Andy is that big of an impact mm-hmm. on me that when we won our first championships, I, you know, had him a championship hoodie made up and right. I shipped it out to him. Yep, yep, yeah, I remember that. Yep. Because uh, that, that's what he means to me. And yeah, if and it if wasn't it wasn't for him, for him exactly. Right, there would yeah. be no champion wackos. Yeah. So, uh, hey. He's on the roster every year. He is. We always put him on the roster mm-hmm. because that small chance that he flies home and we have a game that week, uh, he did. He fell uh-huh, in one week, yep. yeah, a Sunday. Yeah, that was years ago, but I do remember it. Stapleton. He, he, he had a triple, yeah. Mm-hmm. He had a triple that game. So, uh, all right. So, here is the man, Andy Dubitsky. Uh, check out the episode. Really, really, really check it out. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, want to be an actor or a writer or a comedian, any of that stuff, he tells a lot of, like, great insight that yeah and like do's and don'ts kind of too yeah for sure he does i mean he's he's been doing it for 12 years Mm -hmm. he's seen the best of it he's seen the worst of it he's lived it Mm -hmm. and he's you know done many things and he made his mistakes but he also did things the right way Mm -hmm. and he talks all about it yeah so it's an interesting conversation definitely and uh, if you're not trying to be you know an actor or an actress it's so interesting because you watch the movies and some movies you watched he's been in. Yes, yeah, you know, yeah. background and work. And it's cool too, you know, you hear about all these now super famous actors or actresses and you like you hear about how they went to all these uh, casting calls and this and that and and um, auditions and all that and they struggled, struggled, struggled and then they made it and he's kind of in that, you know, got to keep going back to casting, casting and stuff like that. So it's yep. it's cool to hear, you know, first hands like oh wow this is exactly what it's like 
So. Exactly. And to make something in life, you have to give it 100%. Yep. And he gives it 110%, and he gives it everything he has, and that's why he is who he is today. Yeah. So uh, check it out, Anything Goes Podcast, Andy Dubitsky, right now. So what's, what's going up? on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Anything Goes Podcast. We are continuing with our hometown hero segments, and today we are joined by Andrew Dubitsky. So, uh, Andy. I'm Andy. Andy. Andy Dubitsky. Andrew's my government name. Do, do you want me to start over, sir? Huh? You want me to start over? No, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> all right, so. I do go by Andy, but that's Andrew's my name, so yeah. All right, Andy Dubitsky. Yeah. I am fortunate enough to be able to call Andy one of my best friends in this entire world. I don't know if he calls me one of his best friends, but he is one of mine. Uh, not only is, is he one of the funniest people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting and hanging out with, but he's also the most loyal person I know. And Andy, even though you're living on the furthest side of the United States, I know you'd be the first person here if I ever need anything. With no I questions, would. no explanations, and I know that you're, for sure. You're not a friend. You really are a brother. You have been. And you're one of the best friends, one of the most loyal friends I've ever had in my life. And I've had blessed to have a lot of them. And uh, you're the guy, man. You're awesome, brother. Well, right back at you. And is the reason why after all these years, we uh, we still talk as much as we do and keep in touch? About 15, and, uh, 14 years yeah. now, right? Yeah. 2006-ish? Seven? Yeah. Six? So, yeah. so we, we go back. We do. Back we now. go back and, about 15 years. Yeah, That's back fucking then, crazy. I had a little bit more hair and a little less pounds on me, but uh, that's okay. Haven't we all? It's fine. I th I actually thought you lost weight. Um, but uh, so, so Andy, how's life going with you right now? Where are you living these days? I am living in the Sherman Oaks section of Los Angeles. You see me here. I'm on my patio. This is my neighbor. That's Hollywood over there. I don't know if you could see. <laughs> we can that see a little hill over there with those three trees. No, seriously, that's yeah. that's that's over the hill, as they say in Los Angeles. So this is the valley. So this is Sherman Oaks, south of here is Studio City, Valley Village, goes into kind of Burbank, and then as they say, over the hill, it's really just south on the one oh one freeway, is Hollywood. Very good. How that's it. What, what, North what of better, Encino. What better could life be than that? It's great. Yeah. It's great. It's been an amazing 12 years. It's been, it's like, you, as you can see, it's, uh, it's early February. I just have a thin long sleeve shirt on. I probably don't even need this. Uh, weather's been in the high seventies, low eighties for the last couple of really weeks. It's been a warm winter. Sometimes we get rainy winters where it's in the fifties and it kind of, it's sucks because it just it'll rain every single day it usually happens every other year we'll get or maybe like every two or three years we'll get a rainy chilly winter and um because we're not used to it so 50 and raining for californians is like miserable you know what i mean because it's it's like this but i said other than that it's been a really mild winter yeah. it's been it's been great uh there's a lot of crazy stuff going on um, California's like New York and some other states and a lot of limitations and where you can go and what you could do and where you can eat and where you could drink and stuff like that. But as much as it sucks, you can complain about it. You could make use of the time. Okay. And, and, and I, I know you make use of your time. So, so what are you doing these days during all these nothing. crazy times? Absolutely nothing. No. Um, <laughs> 
you know, you improvise. Um, so I've been working on projects. I've been working on some writing projects with friends, um, skits, uh, improvs, vignettes. Some I've released on social media. Some I haven't released yet. Some are a little more intricate. Um, and then more to come, more to come. But awesome. Yeah, the little improvised stuff. Um, I don't mind just throwing it on Instagram or Facebook just to make people laugh, see if it gets any traction, see if the ideas are good, see if it's something maybe people want to see more of. But other stuff, you want to have better production value. If you're going to do it, where you're going to package it as a um, as a real product, as real brand, you want to make sure it's good. Of you course. Know? Well, yeah. if those videos do anything, one, they for sure make us laugh constantly. <laughs> and they also feel like we feel like we're still connected to you. And even though, you know, you're 3000 miles away, it's like, oh, there's Andy. And it's like, he's, he's still with us every day. So keep making them because we love him. Well, I love you guys too, man. Uh, so much. And, you know, if social media has a benefit in, and all this technology, it keeps, it keeps everybody connected. I always say I came out here later in life. I was 33. Um, which is late to do the L.A., to jump into L.A. Mm -hmm. for entertainment purposes, unless you have um, a cachet of work in New York, meaning theater, New York TV. Well, as you know, I was a school teacher. I had none of that. I had some acting classes. I had some student films. I had a little bit of stand-up comedy, and I had some uh, improv comedy, but I had nothing, you know, nothing really that counts in the business to speak of. But I couldn't have been this disconnected geographically from my family and friends without the technology. I, I wanted to come here in my early 20s, but I guess I felt so close to New York, you know, um, right. that I couldn't have done it. I just, my, I would have missed people too much, you know. That. And as much as coming out here late, you kind of get what they call a late start. doesn't really mean anything. But a lot of people that come out early come too early. You can come too late, but you can come too early. And if you're not ready, you'll get lonely. You'll get scared. Uh, I think, again, I don't mean this in, in any like misogynistic way. I think it's a little scarier for women. I do. Uh, we can maybe get into that a little bit later on. Uh, just, the, just the logistics of it, a big city. You know, it's a big, scary city. You know, the industry is the industry. And um, so I think it's even harder in a lot of ways. So, uh like I said, you can come here too late, but you can come too early too. And if you come too early and you get a bad taste in your mouth, you'll never come back. 99.9% wow. .9 of the people will never come back because like anything else, more than anything, this really is a, a marathon. You know, starting a life in Los Angeles is a marathon. <laughs> and if you're one of the few people who hit it big quick, you're probably going to blow it quick because it's going to come too fast. You're going to blow it. You're going to, you're going to make some weird choices. And, um, and that's another way of not making it happen, so to speak. So, yeah. well, you know. th these are the reasons why we want to hear from you because you've, you've lived this life and you've seen it all and done it all. So, uh, it's interesting to hear your take on things. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, but thank you. I wouldn't say that, but I've been around people who've done it all. Okay. I really have. As far as, uh, you know, like in the business, no, not even close. But I've done all the ground level stuff. Quality acting classes, um, bring your shows as a comedian, open mics, um, open jams with improv. I've done festival theater. 
I've written spec scripts, which means a spec script is like, you know, you didn't really get commissioned to write the script, but you, you wrote the script to pitch it. You know what I mean? Um, God, you know, what, I mean, tons of stuff, you know, work with tons of people. I know people that work behind the scenes, camera people, sound people, you, you know, the, the union ones, I know people coming up. So yeah, I've interacted with all those folks and I've interacted with some um, people who are huge in the industry. And so you do see the ups, the downs, the pitfalls, the triumphs, the joys, the money, the poverty, all that shit. Wow. It's all out there, man. And so you lived in New York your entire life up until 12 years ago, right? Technically, about. that's not true. I was born, and please don't tell anyone this, I was born in the state of New Jersey. Okay. okay. Love Jersey. Okay. Um, I was actually born in Red Bank, New Jersey. I was born in Monmouth County. Um, yeah, my family lived in Matawan, New Jersey, Aberdeen, till I was uh, three and a half, four. Okay. My parents split. My dad stayed in Jersey to be close, and my mom moved back to Staten Island. She was a young single mom, worked a tail off, um, but she moved back to Staten Island to be around family for things like babysitting and, you know, stuff like that. At the age yeah, of three and, and a half. So I, was on, I, was in, I was in Staten Island from, I would say, at three and a half, four years old, so I was there about 30 years. So I when you were like Staten. two years old, was it tough running the streets as a two-year-old with like uh, a milk container in your hand? And, I mean, no, I always knew what to do. And I always knew right. even if two, um, how to grease a cop, um, right. how to do things like that. I could, um, you know, at that age, you're not prosecuted. Uh, you can't be prosecuted, you know? So I was stealing and, and robbing at that age and uh, taking things and um, dating older women. Uh, but other than that, um, no, I never really uh, had those issues. I never really went into those pitfalls. Good for you. Learn at a young well, age. There's something really wrong with you. <laughs> so, uh, Andy, at, at three years old, you, you've lived in New York. And your whole For life, sure. your family is here. Your friends are here. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you had, you had a career out here. Oh, you had good. a lot going for you. Um, at, at what point did you decide, okay, that's it? I'm making to the, move, the move to L.A.? And was there anything that ultimately gave you the push to actually do it? You know, it was a lot of things. It wasn't just one. And all the things you said are true. But, and this is what I would say if, if you have any aspiring artists that are going to watch this. If you really, really want to do it, if you want to be wealthy, um, get your real estate license. Sell real estate. Do things like that. If that's what it's about. Um, because working actors are usually not wealthy. I know working actors that have booked 50 guest spots that have agents and managers and have had to move home because they can't pay their rent. Not because they're lazy or bad with money. It's just the way it is. And because the more you work, the harder it is to have a day job. So when you are a working actor, when you get callbacks, but you don't get the job, but you're, but you're flirting with it. They like you. You're in the room. You're going back. You got to learn your lines. You got to be invested in the character. It's harder and harder to be a bartender. It's harder and harder to be a waiter because those people have restaurants to run. Oh, great. You got a call back. I need somebody to serve this hamburger. You know, you know what I mean? So if you have that artistic bug in you, get trained properly and then go for it. Because if you don't, it's going to gnaw at you. With me, it gnawed at me. I was torn between, excuse me, 
I don't have to keep fighting this thing. If you go for it, you're going to always think about it. And then you're going to have that thing where you might have a career. You might get into like a municipal union, a good solid city job like I did. Might even get in a good relationship with someone. I've had those. The thing is, though, if you really feel that's in you and you don't massage it at all, and you could massage it in a community way. Maybe you don't want to do it professionally, but maybe you just need to be on stage. You Maybe you need to tell jokes. Maybe you need to write a play or a screenplay. Do it. Because the more you suppress it, the harder it's going to be on the other life that you jumped into. And that's what happened with me. I knew somewhere in my teens that I was creative and I wanted to tell stories. I liked movies. I liked comedy. I liked writing. I liked stuff like that. But as you know, Greg, people where we're from really don't do that. You know, we talk yeah. about it, and that, but you don't really do that. It's, it's culturally not really acceptable, especially when I was a kid. Maybe it is a little bit more. But 25 years ago, it's like, we're going to go be active. <laughs> we're going to be active. <laughs> That's not a real job. So you don't really think of it that way. But I always kind of did. I'm like, well, yeah, you could do it. You know what I mean? You could act. Yeah. You could write. You could, you could have a, a job in the industry. But as I was procrastinating, hemming and hawing, another life happened. Friendships, relationships, careers, jobs. And all of a sudden, now you're 30. And now... You're not really happy where you are with that, even though there's good things about it. And then when you're not happy, you're not making people around you happy. You're not really your best in a relationship, which I wasn't. I thought I was pretty good at my job, but I could have been better. And then you come into this, this crossroads. I'm like, well, I was 33. I was divorced. I had made a ton of money um, or good money. I wouldn't say a ton investing. Not only did I have three good jobs, I mean, like, you know, teaching jobs, tutoring jobs, but I invested. I got lucky in this uh lucky or, you know, whatever in the stock market a bit. I had money, but I was spending it hand over fist. I was spending my credit hand because there was a hole in me. There was some, I just couldn't get happy. I was, I was enjoying my life. I was living it, but I wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't satisfied. And at some point I said, I'm just running in place here. I have a lot going for me, but where's it getting me? It's getting me in, like I said, silly relationships, I was socially drinking too much. And I said, just go. Like, this is something you've always wanted to do. Just go. When I came here, the temperature was higher than my credit score. <laughs> I don't know. I had about 800 bucks. Jeez. Moving in with a friend of a friend who I'd only met once. And uh, sent, the day I got here, I auditioned for a little play, a little black box theater play. I got a role in it. The lead had a fight with the director. I got bumped up to, like, the, I guess, second male lead in the play. Wow. And I just felt... I belonged. You know what I mean? I just, it, mm -hmm. it didn't matter if I became like wealthy or successful or any of that shit. I wasn't sad. I wasn't in the union, nothing. But I just felt it's where I needed to be and where I wanted to be. And I had materially about a seventh of what I had in New York. You know, I stopped paying my car payments, but I was in California. They couldn't find me. Um, <laughs> it's fucking great. You know, what? Yeah. A couple of weeks. After I got here, I started doing background work. And I was, you know, I was a teacher, a great job. But like a month later, I'm on like these movie sets. Non-union actor making eight bucks an hour. But here's Robert Downey walking in front of me. And here, and again, I'm just a non-speaking extra. But Gwyneth Paltrow and Don Cheadle and Larry David. And it was amazing. I mean, it was yeah. absolutely amazing. It just felt like it fit, you know. 
That's awesome. Well, and uh, speaking of that, Robert Downey Jr. and and all that, you know, you've you've had your time doing some some backup work in in the TV and music industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it like being on set for like Iron Man two and Curb Your Enthusiasm and all these other mainstream movies and TV shows that people watch every day? Here's the thing: most actors hate it. Most actors think it's beneath them. Most actors don't want to be there. Believe it or not, people were there because they couldn't get another job. They like didn't even want to be in the entertainment field. They didn't look at it. See that type of work years ago, and I'll I'll swing back to it. That type of work years ago was a stepping stone. It was almost entry level work. So, background actors in the I don't know forties, fifties, sixties would sign a contract with a studio. Uh, I believe Harrison Ford did, and you would do background work, and you'd show up, and you would do background work. And then if you were dependable and reliable, maybe they'd give you a line. And then maybe a few months later, they'd give you another line. And maybe if someone liked you or something like that, maybe they would start. It was almost a way to just learn the business, get into it. It's not like that anymore. It hasn't been like that for a long, for I would say at least 25, 30 years. But what I loved about it was that I was able to watch what a production was like so it was a learning experience it was interesting to watch real working titans in the industry what they go through how they prepare how they're treated on set what are expectations watching the way the director talks to them because in most cases you can see all this but the thing is most people are flirting with somebody most mm. people are grabbing the free food most people are, um, even, I guess even back then, you know, everybody had phones and texts and stuff. So people are texting, they're on their phones, they don't want to be there. They're saying, when, when, when can I get cut? Because they sometimes will cut background at uh, different time, depending on the scene. Talking to the assistant directors, can I go, can I go? Do you need me for the shot? And I was making non-union minimum wages, eight bucks an hour then, but I was like, always wanted to be, I was always, when it was appropriate to, I would talk to them, and they would—they gave me stand-in work. Um, they gave me um, at least some places where it's FaceTime. They, they liked me because not for any other reason is that I wanted to be there. Right. You know what I mean? And um, so to me, it was a learning experience. And, and the comparison I make it to, you play a lot of rec league sports. I played a lot of rec league sports. We played together. Yep. And basketball is basketball, right? Right. Baseball's baseball, football's football. You're catching the ball, you're tackling someone, you're shooting the ball, you're passing the ball. But it's different when there's a camera on you. The way professional athletes play the sport, in some ways it's just different, right? Because it's a production. It's not it's not a pickup game. And so when you're acting in an acting class, when you which I had done in New York, when you're doing a student film, which is you know, depending on the level of the student film is, is a little bit less. But when you are on a professional set, there's different dynamics, right? There's, first of all, there's money. You got to realize that a feature film costs about, I don't know, maybe a hundred grand a day. I mean, when I was doing it, because you're paying union wages to set builders, to grips, to electric, um, to the you know, lighting people, there's different pressures. It's like, yeah, you want to get the shot you want to get it right, the artist, meaning the director and actor, but then there's the, the studio saying, how, how long is this going? We're paying, we're paying hundreds of people 40 bucks an hour. You know, I know he wants to get the line right and the shot right, but wrap this shit up because it's, 
I was there the first day of Iron Man, and Robert Downey did what almost no principal actor, especially of his level, does. Actually talked to the, uh, to, the, to the background actors, to the cast. Really? And he said, look, he said, is the second one. He said, we're doing some different stuff. Um, there's going to be a little love triangle this time. We're going to try okay. some different things. It's going to be great. We really need you to be a part of it. And he goes, and if it sucks, it doesn't matter because we're going to make so much fucking money. Who cares? <laughs> and so, but it was very poignant because, because studio heads know. Studio heads and, and, and investors want to make money, right? Yeah, here and there, some of them want to make a nice piece of art, but they want to make money, right? And so if you're mm -hmm. investing in a major franchise, they don't really care about the minutiae as much because they know the franchise alone is going to make the film profitable. Of course. So they don't care. Now, the director most likely does. The actors hopefully do. But um, so that was what the great thing about doing that stuff was. Didn't do anything for me as far as a career. It wasn't something you could say on a resume. Well, I did background. I did all this stuff. Yeah, like I said, 40, 50 years ago, it had a little bit of, it meant a little something. It doesn't anymore at all. But if you, if you like the entertainment business, I would suggest to do it because it shows you set etiquette. And there is an etiquette. You don't talk to principal actors. You don't be a fanboy or a fangirl. You be a professional. You know, whether you're just walking someone or you're Iron Man or Superman or you're carrying the film, everyone is expected to act as a professional. There's rules. Um, most sets are fun, depending on the director. Some aren't, but most of it, it, it's a lot of fun. All you have to do is follow the rules. Be a professional. Okay, so you're starring in the film. This is what is expected of you. Your role in the film is just to walk by the water cooler and pantomime. That's you know yeah. that, but that's your part, and so, so, so that's like, what you're expected of. Yeah. So like during filming the scene, you couldn't like go up to Robert Downey Jr. and ask for an autograph or something. It didn't go well. I couldn't have done it. No. No. <laughs> no. I, I get That'll you. get you actually permanently banished. <laughs> Seriously. I'm not oh, kidding. I believe it. I believe it. And uh, is there a difference? of being on a set of a TV show as opposed to being on set of a movie? TV? Because I did, um, what TV? I was on TV shows like um, Heroes with Ali Larder. That was a show, pretty big show, uh, mm -hmm. a decade ago. Do you remember it? Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was, um, she's a, a Jersey girl, too. It's funny because we're in, um, we were like, it was like kind of like next door in the thing. And um, it's a good question. It's a great question you asked. TV, don't forget, they're cramming a lot of episodes in mm. to a season. So they'll shoot the whole season. So yeah. the actors in the TV, yeah, most of the time. What wow. they'll do is they'll shoot the whole season. <laughs> so the actors will, for like six months, just have nothing. The principal actors, nothing but 12-hour days. They're expected to be at the set at usually about six. And, you know, the principal actors, they're, they're pretty well taken care of. They have trailers. People ask them what they want to eat. Your neck hurts. We'll get a masseuse in here. Like, you know, they're treated well. They're paid well. But it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And it's a lot of redundancy. They're cramming in a lot of work in a relatively short period of time. So on TV shows, again, to my knowledge, I mean, this might vary a little, but they 
it's about boom, boom, boom. I've even worked with people that were auditioning for TV shows. I've read for them. And, and I've read sides and they're like, and you remember, like, as you're helping me, this is TV. It's boom, boom, boom. It's not so much about being in the moment. Not that it's not being in the moment, but it's not about, you know, like letting a line lay or something like that. There's a rhythm to it because it moves fast because you're expected to get it done, to get it shot. If the season, say the season premiere is September 1st, well, you have to have all those episodes in the can. September 8th, September 15th, and all this stuff. So you don't want to go run over. With the movie, you know, like Stanley Kubrick, one of those brilliant directors of all time, only made 10 films. Only made 10 films because sometimes he would do 60 takes. Wow. 60 takes. <laughs> and who was he working with? He was working with um, fucking Jack Nicholson. He what? was working with... Tom Cruise. It wasn't like he was working with, you know, amateurs. Exactly. You know, he would ask Mount Rushmore actors to do it 50 times. And it was like the same thing. Wow. So, you know, but it's a movie. Marlon Brando, um, I think in Mutiny on the Bounty, which was shot in Tahiti, probably the only actor in the world, even the iconic actors like Nichols that could ever get away with this. Right. So they go down to Tahiti to shoot Mutiny on the Bounty. And this was like in the early 60s-ish, like coming off some, you know, major successes, Academy Awards. He was a sex symbol. He was the king of Hollywood. He goes down there and they start shooting the movie. He falls in love with Tahiti. Hmm. Then he falls in love with a Tahitian girl. And he basically just said, all right, we're not going to shoot for two months. I'm just going to date this girl. And I think he was actually dating another girl. <laughs> and he like, gained weight because he didn't give a fuck. Wow. He was one of the only guys. It's not that he didn't care about the art. He just lived life truly moment to moment. And so that movie went so over budget. The, the director wanted to kill him. The studio wanted to kill him. Like I said, almost nobody in the history of film would have ever gotten away with that Jeez. other than him. Um, and even he, I don't think, would have gotten away with that today. Because now everything is even more money. Um, but he was notorious for that. But there was, but the film, but film is different. It's considered, I think, just in general, over the time, it's more of a piece of art. You know, you wouldn't rush yeah. Picasso. You wouldn't say, Picasso, you got to get this done by August 5th. You know, like you have to get Starry Night. It's got to be done. I don't care if the stars and the swirls are in the right place. Okay. But with TV, it's a schedule. So there was a much more rhythmic boom, 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 boom thing with TV. When you were on the set, it was more of a, it was fun, but it almost felt like you were going more to work. With movie, with movies, it was almost a little bit more, there was like a little bit more of a magical element to it. That makes some sense? Yeah, very much. Doesn't to me, but it does to you. <laughs> it does, it does. <laughs> and how about you? What's a typical day on set like for you when you show up? What, for like a, a background actor? Yeah. So like a day or, two, uh, day or two before, they tell you how to dress. They tell you what you're expected to wear, right? Yeah. So I, like I used to get a lot of office work. So if you had a suit, great. But some, like on Iron Man, they fitted you for the suit. And they pay you for the fitting. So yeah. they actually give you a suit. They tailor it to you. They, um, they hem it for you. They give you your tie and you get there. And if you don't know how to tie a tie, which I still suck at, they'll do it for you, stuff like that. Just so everything looks great, you know. Um, and you're told what you're going to be doing. You, you're, you're told, like, okay, you're, um, 
you know, I don't know, grave digger, let's say. Right. Right. So you get there and then, you know, you, they give you a shovel and you just, you know, like you do that and you're dressing oh. in grave digger clothes or you're going to be working in an office cubicle. So, you know, just typing, you know, like stuff like that, exactly. you know, um, and that's, and, and like I said, they'll basically, the thing they really tell you the most is, I guess, the title of the character. I played military guys. I played police. I played office workers. I played um, club goer. Okay. Basically, my life. And um, and then when you get there, they'll set up the shot. They'll they'll put you usually into groups if it's a big production. So they'll say, okay, group one, we need you now. So group one will file in, and it'll be all office workers. Yeah, it's usually 50-50 male, female. And... Um, the ADs, the assistant directors will place you. They'll say, okay, you and you, come here. You guys are going to be sitting at this desk, or you're going to be, she'll be sitting, you'll be talking, and you're having, like, a pleasant conversation. It's all pantomime. Right. Maybe you'll be going to, um, planning going to lunch. Maybe you're flirting with her, but she doesn't want to. And just make up yeah. something that kind of looks a little interesting, and then you pantomime it. Right. Out and stuff like that. So, and that's basically your instructions, like when you're doing, like I said, background what do they call it now they call it atmospheric talent <laughs> is that what they say it's funny how language george carlin yeah. used to talk about euphemisms how we went one day from calling war veterans shell-shocked to post-traumatic stress disorder they right. used to call background right. work even when i said extras you were an extra yeah like we need you to show up there and just be a human being that's alive now they call them atmospheric talent. I guess that changed with the times. So I like everything else. It changed with like everything else. <laughs> but um, I mean, that's a typical day on set. Um, again, I haven't been on set, or I mean, I've done some web series, but I haven't been on set on a professional set since the COVID thing. And now it's like they have to take your temperature and have to test you. And I think you have to wear a mask in between takes and all this shit. Mm. But like, it was a lot of fun. I made friends when your shot is over, but they're going to usually later they put you into holding. And you're basically sitting on chairs, but they have what they call craft services where, I mean, all day long you can eat granola bars, drink water, fruit, things like that. On the big sets, the meals were always great. Iron Man, we had poached salmon. Um, it's all paid for, of course. It's all, um, the more uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm was like a buffet. I mean, it was like a high-end buffet. And if you're not making a lot of money as a young actor, I used to like getting booked uh, because it was a chance to eat. <laughs> it was only work. It was days. <laughs> no, I, after, after my, the few bucks I came to L.A. with, after it ran out, I was only working two or three days a week in a bar, and I wasn't making a lot of money. Um, so I had to ration my food. I lost about 15 pounds. Wow. And um, I was eating. Uh, so I would buy a Subway sandwich and try to make it last for two meals, like a foot long. Or I'd buy pasta, which is like two, three bucks. Yeah. And then, you know, you jar a sauce, you try to make that last for a long time. But when you got booked on a job, you might only been making eight bucks an hour, but you can eat all fucking day long. You can eat good, huh? I never did this. People used to go with shopping bags and like heist all the apples and bananas and all that shit. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Starving yeah. artist is a real term. I can yeah. Tell you that. Wow. I can tell you that. Yeah. And like I said, I was making. You know, back then with my three jobs, I was I was making close to 70K a year. And this is like, you know, 13 years ago. 
I was making, you know, I don't know, a couple hundred a week and all of it was going to rent and I was falling behind in the rent and just whatever I could eat. It was a, it was a massive culture shock. It was a massive culture shock, you know? Yeah. But, um, it was good. It was good to get out of my comfort zone. Everybody should get out of their comfort zone. I I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so for, for a young guy like you, you know, in shape, good looking guy. What's, uh, you know, you have a lot going for yourself. What, what, what's the dating scene like from, uh, from New York to, from the East Coast to the West Coast? Yeah. Is with that? There is. Um, God, I mean, where do you even start with L.A.? I mean, I'm a bad example because, first of all, I don't do any online dating or anything like that. I just don't. It's tough because everybody is always worried about making it. And there, a lot of people here are preoccupied. They're not really worried about long-term relationships. And so it's hard. The place I met the most women in were acting classes and in productions because I was comfortable there, you know? So I would, I would meet people. I'd meet women there. Um, but the dating senior is rough. It, it's really rough. Like I said, it's not because when you start dating, ultimately, I don't care who you are, you want it to go somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. Of course. And you want it to move into something serious. I don't know, maybe I have a cat and a plant. Maybe you have four kids. But you wanted to eventually graduate to something more serious. I think everyone does on some level, even if you don't want to do that for a period of time. Maybe you want to have casual relationships. Right. Um, and that's pretty easy to have here. But as far as the long-term stuff, people, I think, are always focused on the business. And they're always focused on how am I going to pay my rent and how am I going to make my bills and Oh God, is this person not in the industry or something like that? So it's a lot of challenges. I think mm -hmm. dating in America on the coast are tough now. I think the middle America and the South, I think it's pretty much pretty normal, but <laughs> on the coast, it's tougher than ever. And, um, it, it's, it could be a lonely town. It could be a, definitely could be a lonely town for that. Mm -hmm. People don't really come out here for the three bedroom house with the picket fence. So that's right. kind of what you're up against. If you're a, a guy or a girl or whatever you date, you know what I mean? Your dating okay. situation. But if you're talking just like that kind of stuff, yeah, like I said, people get in these situationships where they're dating. But I've seen a lot of successful relationships too. Yeah. I have. I've seen a lot of successful relationships. If there is something out here that is actually easier and better, is that a lot of the constraints of small town or like Staten Island is like a small town and a big town. I've always said there's a lot of things like there's a lot of ethnic expectations, right? Yeah. When I was growing up, especially, I think it's changed a little. When I was growing up, you know, like a lot of times Jewish girls dated Jewish girls, Italian girl, Italian people dated either like Italian or Irish. Yeah, there was definitely mixes. You know what I mean? Age is a factor, which is totally understandable. How here though, it's kind of like, a lot of that goes out the window. So if people like each other, they're not really, they're not really constrained by that. I think it's because they don't have their hometown circle, family and friends always watching. Right. Let's okay. face it. Staten Island is a judgmental. We do. We judge. Yeah. As soon as some, one of our friends, our brother, our sister dates somebody, we have a million questions. Are they Italian? Are they Jewish? Are they Irish? Are they this? Where does he work? How much money does he have? What does she do? What is it? Like, it's all this stuff. Everybody out here, 
you could be 50, you could be 22. You're probably an actor trying to make it. Hmm. And that's basically it. So the, the, in that respect, the, the playing field is a lot more level, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, very much. It's more level in that respect. It's like, yeah, if people like each other, they tend to go for it, um, which is nice, which is really the way it should be. It shouldn't be. People shouldn't be constrained by, yeah, your family, your friends are a factor. You want them. Everybody's got to get along. But like I said, there's really not that same judgmentalness mm-hmm. of back home. So in that respect, I think your options are more open. Mm-hmm. But finding somebody that is like, saying, okay, I, I want to be a, a working entertainer, but I want to have a family, too. You know what I mean? That's a hard dynamic to find. Right. So. Interesting, yeah? And yeah, what yeah. do you say is your biggest misconception, or the biggest misconception about becoming a movie star in Hollywood? Biggest misconception? You'd have to ask the movie star. <laughs> um, <laughs> I couldn't tell you that. But, well, actually, I probably could give you some insight. Yeah. The people I've been around that have made it pretty high. The money doesn't really make them happy, to be honest with you. Hmm. And again, I can't speak for many of them, but the couple I've been around, um, it really is more money, more problems kind of thing. Uh, Got to realize too, in a place like, in a place like California, taxes are huge. You Got to realize the more representate, the more, um, the higher you up are in the in the industry especially if you're an, an actor an actress the more representation you have so you have managers you have publicists you have personal assistants right you just have all these people around you that are propping you up getting you jobs well they don't do it for free right so you gotta realize if just i'll throw a number out there throw a million dollars out there say you get a million dollars not talking residuals or back end they just get a million dollar flat thing for a picture yeah okay well Uncle Sam wants that. I think the state income tax here is, it's, a, it's the highest in the country. I forget what the number is. Your manager gets, I think, 10%. I think your agent gets 10 You're talking off the top. You're talking like 50% of your money is gone. It's just, I mean, that's conservatively speaking, right? It's just, it's just kind of gone, right? Okay, so you got $500,000 left over. It's not so bad. Yeah. But if you get to a certain level, you need personal assistance. You're expected to look a certain way. You're expected to dress a certain way. Your dating scene changes dramatically. Wow. It does, right? And um, I'll just speak from a male point of view. Right. Um, that's the thing. So now, okay, so now everyone sees you. You're on TV. You're on. You're in movies, right? You have a few bucks in your pocket. Yep. You go. You go out to a restaurant, a bar, talking pre pre crazy times we live in now. Well. Those people, the people that are your dating pool, the expectations change. You know, the way they presume that your home is going to be, the car you drive, maybe the clothes you wear, right? So you have to keep up with the Joneses a bit. That gets expensive. And the second you slip, everyone's like, what happened? Are you not as successful? What's going on? Um, God, I I saw saw, uh, Joe Blow and... Boy, he didn't have nice jeans on. I saw him. His BMW was like a 2013. He probably's not working right now. Shit like that. So you put on this illusion. A lot of people, and this happens in the NFL. If you've ever read books, the book you gave me on Michael Strahan 12 years mm-hmm. ago, it happens in all, in all fields where people make a lot of money because there's different levels of the money they make, right? 
right? So the, 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 the working actor on Law and Order, she's got a nice career. I'm just a random person. Right. She doesn't make what George Clooney makes. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But he might, right. he might travel in similar circles. And again, so much of what we do is, is we do a lot. If we're not, if we are single and we're not in a relationship, we do a whole lot. A lot of our behavior is dictated by meeting a potential person. So if you're in certain circles, you know, you're not like, I'm just a poor guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm here, but I'm, I've got no money. You don't do that, right? Like, that's your human right. nature. We don't do that. So the higher you go up in the business, the more you're trying to keep up with the people higher in the business. I, I knew a successful actor, I, I wouldn't say his name, that did very well, character actor, tremendous guy. He told me once that the, the maintenance on his Beverly Hills home, before he put a morsel of food in his, mouth, in his mouth, before he put a gallon of gas in his car, was 15 grand a month. That's a lot of money. Yeah. That's all the top. That's the, I'm talking about <laughs> the landscaping. That's the taxes. That's right. the gardener. I'm not talking about that's what taking his family out to the movies and a vacation and wardrobe and school supplies. That's like what his gardener, his water bill, and his electric bill cost. And his municipal taxes. Right. So what happens if you don't work for two years? Because yeah. that's cotton too. And you could be a famous actor and you could not work for a couple of years. So then what? Okay, well, no big deal. I have some other skills. I'll just get a job. Well, if you've been in 15 feature movies, where are you going to work? Supermarket? What are you going to do? No, Substitute full feature? You can't yeah. do it. You're hamstrung by your success. You're boxed in by your success. And um, that's a lot of the, that's the norm for those people at that thing. There's people, I believe, that have reached a financial pinnacle where they don't have to do that. And then there's Johnny Depp, who's broke, destitute. I'm not saying he's destitute. Yeah. And he'll work again, and he's got resources, and he's got friends. But his money managers took all his money. Johnny Depp was $400 million. Jeez. Look at that. All that Jack Sparrow money and Pirates of the Caribbean 7 and 8 and Literally made hundred million dollars doing those movies. Just, just those couple of movies made over a hundred quarter of a million dollars, quarter of a billion dollars. Gone. Can someone like him recoup that? Good chance he'll, you know, again because he's he's not only a talent, he's an icon. So, but imagine having that. So even at that level, those people lose it. No one is immune to it. So the smartest thing I would I could say to anybody that's you know, been in the that if, if you're going to get successful, live way, way beneath your means, invest in smart things, land, hard assets. If you're going to invest in a business, be on top of the business. Um, because if the money dries out and you're 45 or 50, if you start at 25, you can be broke at 50. And if what you've been doing is acting and then you don't have acting roles, what are you going to do? Right. Like, that ever happened to me. Man, I could do anything. I'll just go and I'll work construction. No, you won't. No, you won't. Can't do it. Never happens. Almost never. Remember the guy um, on the Cosby Show that was working at Trader Joe's? He played uh, Elvin on the Cosby okay. Show. Right, right, right. So, just refresh people's memory. Um, I forget the name of the actor. Wonderful actor. Seemed like a wonderful guy. Sixty years old played one of Bill Cosby's daughters 
boyfriends on the Cosby Show, and he was on a ton of episodes. And the Cosby yeah. Show ran in perpetuity, so he got residuals. Now, hmm. what's great about him is that he's a real actor. So he spent the last 15 years doing theater, like in New York, like uh, teaching, putting on wonderful productions. He's a real actor. Jeez. But I guess some of the film and TV stuff dried up. Well, I don't know if you've heard Bill Cosby got himself in a little bit of trouble. Uh, a little bit. Pulled, a so little they, bit. Pulled, they pulled the Cosby show. So the residuals right. dry up. <laughs> oh, jeez. So you know where he was working? Interesting. Wow. It's three years old. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. I give him so much credit and have so much respect for him for doing yeah. that. And someone saw him there and they kind of, some degenerate or a bunch of degenerates were like kind of mocking him. No. But that's but that's a that's real silly. artist. That's right. a real human being. Right. He, he, he was, he kind of at the pinnacle of success. He was a series regular on an iconic show. Yeah. Through no fault. So that set him up with residuals. Right. I believe Bill Cosby made sure that the actors on the show all got taken care of with their percentages and residuals. Oh, which I is something so. we said for him. Okay. The problem is, is now when his personal life fell apart, well, now, now, now their financial world was affected tremendously because you know a lot of the actors on that show didn't yeah. go much further than that show. Exactly. Not that they were excellent actors. So, so that's the business. Hmm. So imagine, okay, so you had a great run on a show, and your career, like I said, from a film and TV thing, fizzled out, and it's like, okay, but you know, I'm making like twenty grand a month in residuals. Yeah, it's pretty good, right? Right. Big time. Well, now the fucking, well, now the guy who created the show is sitting in jail Jeez. for fucking, with some shit. Yeah, well, and he, he just, uh, he, he just sent out a, a tweet or something and he got locked up for that, right? Something like, along those lines? Uh, who? Uh, Bill Cosby? Bill Cosby, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, something. like a tweet or something he sent out, jeez. Something like that. I don't know. I don't know the particulars. Boy, oh, um, But back to your original question. How do you be a movie star? This is what I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how not to be a movie star. Um, if you don't take your craft seriously, you won't be. The best thing you could do is have actually a grinding lunch bell mentality. Study with a really good coach. You might have to go through a few because there's a lot of pretenders. Most people in acting classes stay away from acting classes that tell you they'll introduce you to a casting director. It's not a real acting class. We'll get you seen. We'll get you this. Now, mm. learn the craft. Just learn the craft of acting. Mm. Um, do theater. Do stage. Mm. Work out. Become invested in every character you make and pick characters you like. That's another misnomer, I think, that they say do everything. Well, what if the character's not good for you? Yeah. What if you don't like the character? Are you going to be good in the I character? Agree. Most likely not. Hmm. Most likely not. If you don't like golf, someone says be a be a golfer and you practice. <laughs> if you don't like golf, at some point you're not going to be happy. You're either going right. to be a really good golfer and be miserable, and all that money is going to do nothing for you, mm. or you're just not going to be invested. But if you pick characters you like, you will put the time in. You will create the character you're supposed to create, and if you do that, you'll get noticed. Very it's good. impossible not to be. And it'll happen when you don't expect it. It's impossible not to be. So invest yourself in characters you like. Got it. Um, another thing, too, 
Hollywood, and it's understandably, is very type oriented. If you are a five foot three fat person, do not go out to play the lead in the Will Chamberlain story. People do that. You're <laughs> laughing. Come on. Motherfuckers do that. Are you serious? No, they see, they don't see themselves in a certain, they don't right. see themselves. Yeah. And I'll give you an anecdote. I was around actors that had been on shows like The Sopranos that have been in Scorsese movies, real parts, not right. background, real parts. Yeah. Now, if you ever saw the people who were in The Sopranos, like guys like Tony Sirico, Paulie mm -hmm. Walnut. Right. Oh, yeah. Paulie Walnuts was a gangster. He went to jail. He was an armed robber. He was a hijacker. He was a shakedown guy. He was collected for loans. People on the streets. He was a legitimate tough guy. Mm. And he was a lot of, he was in Goodfellas. He's the guy that throws the guy into the oven, the mailman into the oven. Excuse <laughs> yeah. me. Everybody knows who Tom Paul Of course. He was in a million of those movies. Very convincing. But he's a real guy. He was a real guy in his former life. He just wanted to turn his life around. He walked away right. from the street. The other actors who have been in those movies, like De Niro and guys like that, they weren't, but they certainly understood the characters. Well, one time I was um, at dinner with some actors that have done that type of work. Right. And uh, we were laughing, and I just moved here. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're quite, pretty funny, and you got a nice look, and all this stuff, and I think you could do something in the business. And the, what parts do you like to play? So I don't know, man. You know, New York guys, Staten Island guys, to run around in the playgrounds and stuff. And they were like gangster roles, and they all started laughing at me. Yeah. They started laughing at me. I'm like, <laughs> what, what do you mean? What? I'm like, why? They're like, sir, so get a little like, what am I, like a pussy or something? I'm like, that's not what they were laughing at, but what they were. So they said, who, who do you think sees you as that kind of guy? Right. I went. Well, uh, my acting class. They went, ah! <laughs> and I said, and, uh, because this was true, because when I first moved here, I did some student films at different colleges around here. Good young filmmakers, hungry people. I said, well, whenever I go out for a student film, they say, you look at me, and they was like, start laughing. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, you know, it was, uh -huh. my, ego was, my ego was hurt, but these were some real people. Right? These are real people that had been in The Godfather and been in the uh -huh. and these shows. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Now what the fuck is so funny? Seriously. They're like, you fucking not that kind of guy. I'm like, well, what, what am I, like Woody Allen or something? Like, you know, but what they were laughing at. And it doesn't mean I couldn't play points like that. Because, you know, the New York guys. But what they were laughing at, and they were 100% right, was that there's a difference between you as a person having an essence of guys like that or people like that right. or girls like that and the level it takes to be in a major award-winning picture. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can have right. that essence, but that doesn't mean you could play Michael Corleone. And a lot of actors don't really understand the way other people look at them. One of the reasons we have egos. Do we ever want to play the not-good-looking person? Do we ever right. want to play the wimpy person as a man? Right. As as a as a woman, do you want to play the? Um, I've seen women, really attractive women too, by the way, mm. perceive themselves as bombshells. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean they weren't beautiful. It doesn't mean they weren't attractive. Mm. 
but does the business see you in that way? Does the business see you the way they saw a 22-year-old Megan Fox? Right. Does the business see you the way they saw a 25-year-old Ava Gardner? That doesn't mean you're not a beautiful woman. That doesn't mean you're not attractive. But would the business see you as that? Just because you can play a rough-around-the-edges guy, yeah. does that mean you could do it the way James Caan did in The Godfather? Is that you know what I'm saying? Does that mean you oh, could be right. you could be Jimmy Conway in Goodfellas the way De Niro? Does that mean you? Because if you're going out for certain parts, and again, even if you you're not there yet, but the goal should be to get there. So a lot of a lot of Brooklyn Staten Island guys want to play, want to play tough guys. We grew up around tough guys, even if you're not in that type of life. But that's what we grew up around. That's kind of what we idolized and stuff like that. So what's the benchmark? It's Joe Pesci, pretty yeah. much, right. right? Right. So can you get to a place where you put the work in that you're Joe Pesci in Goodfellas, that you're Joe mm. Pesci in Casino? Because that's what your competition is. Your competition isn't the guy that you eat pizza with every day. It's Joe Pesci. Yeah. It's Robert De Niro, yeah. uh, you know, in, in their youth and stuff like this, yeah. right? It, it's, it's guys like that. If, if you're... If you're kind of a quirky guy, like, you know, uh, you know, are you Christopher Walken? Just because you can imitate Christopher Walken. <laughs> are you Christopher Walken? Yeah. You know? Now, that doesn't yeah. mean with training and dedication you can't get there. Mm. But a lot of people think they have that essence, and it's like, well, I'll, I'll be next in line. I'll just go out to Hollywood, and I'll just be next in line. Mm. But that's your competition. Your competition isn't your friends at home. Your competition is... Right. Okay, you're 30 years old. Can you bring to that role what Joe Pesci did at 35 in um, Raging Bull? Can you bring that? Because that's because that's who you're going to be going up against for that type of role. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. a leading man. Yeah. Okay, I'm a leading man. I'm a sexy leading man. Are you Robert Redford in the 1970s? <laughs> are you Paul Newman in the 60s? <laughs> are you are you Brad Pitt in the 90s? Because that's your competition. They're not going to say, well, you know, he's not Brad Pitt, but we feel bad for this guy. Let's just put him in a $150 million picture. I mean, he seems like he wants the part. Yeah, I don't think no. that's going to happen. It's not how it works. <laughs> it's not how it works. So you've got to do the work. That's the thing. You've right. got to do the work. You have to be the most, you have to be dedicated. You have to train well. You have to live it and breathe it. And then you'll get, you'll, you'll get your day in the sun. Okay. And persevere. And I mean, that thing in the sun may take 20 years. Literally may take 20 years. And when you get there, it might not be all it's cracked up to be anyway. And you're like, yeah. what do I do this for? All right. But it could be beautiful. But it can give you and it can give you a life and take you places and give you opportunities you've never been. Because there's a lot of good things about it, too. I'm sure. And there's a lot of happy people, too. But you've got to love the work. If you love the work, you'll be happy getting $20 million a picture. You'll yeah. be happy doing the play for free. Mm. If you can say, doesn't matter what I'm getting paid to do this, I want to do this part, that's the part you want to do, and then the business is right for you. So so, so you've said you, you spent the night with uh, with Bill Cosby in a hotel, just you and him? I did. I, I woke up, and I, yeah. I still haven't gotten my belt back. I, <laughs> um, but other than that, it was pretty good. I don't remember much. and I was sore. I just remember being sore. <laughs> and uh, you, you, you've also had your fair share of other celebrity encounters. 
Anytime and most celebrity encounters. Yeah. Um, other than some people I've met and friends I've, I've met through, I've had more. I've had more um, in restaurants and bars I've okay. worked. And, yeah, and, tons of those. Anytime you felt like starstruck, like, oh, man, look, it's whoever. There's a couple. Um, most of the time, I'm not. Most of the time, I don't get starstruck. Well, I'll do this. I'll do this real quick. Take you through my abode here really quick. I'll make it fast. <laughs> getting dark, very dark. I don't have electricity. <laughs> but, um, hey, listen, I can book a job, and I can get a lamp. You never know. Hold on. Right here. One of the most starstruck I ever was about a year and a half ago. I went to the supermarket here. Okay. You've been out here. You know Ralph's? Oh, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. And what's funny, I was going to see my father in Ohio, and my flight got delayed by like three hours. So I was like, oh, let me go to Ralph's, get something to eat, get some coffee, whatever it was. And I'm standing in Ralph's. I, I pay for my stuff, and there's a guy standing um, by the escalator. And I went, I couldn't talk, and again, I've seen Johnny Depp, I've seen people like this, but walked over to him, it was this guy, Mr. T. Ah, oh, yeah. How and awesome is that? I turned into How an eight-year-old awesome. boy. I turned into an eight-year-old little boy. I said, Mr. T, I'm like such a big fan, I grew up with you. And he'd been through the drill, he went, come here, my man. He went, let's, let's, get, a, let's get a selfie together. Do you know how blessed I've been in my life? He went, do you know I was able to do everything I wanted for my family? And I mean, he just started going off. And you could see in that picture, he put this big bear hug around. He had just come from I see. And that was a great memory. That was a great memory. He couldn't be more gracious, more nice. Out of all the people I've met, like, he was definitely one of the ones I got stuck over. Um, another one, definitely was I was working at the Roosevelt. I think I told you the story. And um, no lights. And um, <laughs> I was working at the Roosevelt. And you guys got to come out and visit me. I actually got a, a nice place now. Um, I see. It is nice, yeah. First time in a while. That's a decent-sized place. I was working at the Roosevelt Hotel. And you remember when I worked there. And yeah. I'm busy. And, and uh, I'm at the bar. And this guy's grabbing my arm. I need a cheeseburger. <laughs> I said, um... All right, Kyle, relax. <laughs> it's a line, you know. No, 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 you don't understand. I need the cheeseburger. Now, look, the guy was wearing a suit, and I said, I, I'm, I'm sorry, like, do I know you or whatever? Now it's a big hotel. He's like, I'm the manager of the bar upstairs. Right. Yeah, yeah. What was it? Oh, God. It was like a fun, it was like a amusement bar. Great spot, actually. Anyway, and I was like, who's it for? Mm. He went, Axel Rose. Whoa. <laughs> I said, uh, I said one stipulation. I have it for you right now. I said, I remember you telling me this. And he said, you know the rules with him. No pictures. Don't say. I said, no, no, I'm not saying anything. Right? Because not only was was he the rock star when I was a teenager, but he's like an elusive person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. people see, like, Slash and Steven Adler and all these things. People see them, like, in the supermarket. And they're like, hey, how you doing? Like, right. they're, like, all over the valley. But he was just, like, an elusive guy. Like, and he was, like, you know, he was almost like my Michael Jackson as far as, like, iconic musicians. When I was a kid, they were the yeah. biggest band in the world for about four years, five years. At that pivotal time, pivotal, pivotal time, 
um, when between like ages like 12 and 15, 16, okay. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So my, um, my partner behind the bar there um, was like uh, a little bit younger than me, but he was like a big fan of the music and stuff. And I told him, he's like, oh, God. I was like, we're going to drop the cheeseburger off him. <laughs> I knew it was him because he was on Jimmy Kimmel that night. Okay. And the so Jimmy sorry, Kimmel yeah. show was shot at the El Capitan yeah. store. So a lot of times Jimmy Kimmel guests would come and have dinner. Like CeeLo Green on there. Like I met some really cool people in there. And so we go upstairs and he comes out and he had like, he had like three women with him. And they all looked like, <laughs> they were like one more gorgeous than the other. And um, he comes out. He's just like, he's all in his like, you know, accessories and regalia and a cowboy hat and all this kind of stuff. And I handed the cheeseburger and one of the women just grabbed it from me and they walked out of the place. That was like kind of a surreal, a surreal thing because it's like I said, it's an unusual celebrity. But again, just the gravitas of the music growing up, really the first band I was like really into. And yeah, when I was a little kid, we all loved Michael Jackson. We all loved stuff like that. But that was like the one that was like, you know, it was like meeting Mick Jagger or meeting yeah. John Lennon, you know, to somebody older than me. You know what I mean? Right. And, yeah. and did I really need him? No. But at the time, this was before they reunited with the original, some of the original lineups like Slash, the um, lead guitarist guy named DJ Ashba. Great guitarist. Fantastic guitarist. Played with a ton of good bands. He was there. And as they were waiting to go out, I talked to him for a while. And I was like, yeah, I saw you guys in New Jersey a couple of years ago. He's like, oh, man, you're at that show. And he was really so We chopped it up for like 10 minutes because I had somebody watch the restaurant. So um, we were talking about it and about music and stuff like that. So that was, that was definitely a starstruck moment. There was trying to think. Mr. T, like like I said, I don't really care about the status of the movie star as much as who they mean to me. Right. You know what it means? It didn't matter that there were, you know, people that are like in the past. Like those were people. I was what Mr. T was larger than life. Yeah. He was the the first movie I have deep memories of in the movies, even though I'd seen movies before that in the movies was Rocky Three. And he was the super villain. Of course. Clover is the super villain. For sure. And so, and then he was on the 18, I had Mr. T, dolls and toys and all this shit. And he always seemed like a positive person. He always seemed like he was genuinely about having a good message. So, that was like a huge thing. Like I said, um, Johnny Depp was in the, uh, uh, was in the restaurant there. Wow. Um, and he had really, he had really hit it hard wherever he came from. But I didn't wait on him, but he was very nice. But people told me he was nice, but he was he was pretty wasted. And this is, could still be on YouTube, I think it is. What happened was, in front of the place, the paparazzi were waiting for him. And he was with a couple of people. But one of them you could see was like, I don't want to say a bodyguard, but almost like a handler or something. And he leaves, and he had to be helped to the door by his entourage. And when he gets out the door, these maggots paparazzi maggots are flashing light bulbs at him. And the guy just, like, sprays a thing. So the guy holding Johnny Depp up turns to confront the photographer 
and he let go of him, and he just space plants. Like, I saw the whole thing, like, from behind the ball. He just <laughs> Like, basically just Jack Sparrow right onto the fucking pavement. And, okay. you know, it's Johnny Depp, but it's a human being. Right. So your, right. Your, your instincts and my manager went out mm-hmm. and helped. And he's like, watch the ball. He ran out there and picked right. him up. And wow. that, was kind of, that was kind of a mess. And um, I, uh, God, at that bar, I served drinks to Michael Irvin. Football player, I tease him about being a Dallas Cowboy a little. The actor, Michael Pena, I waited on, and it was just him and his friend in the bar. It was about 3 o'clock in the morning. Wow. Took alcohol because it was after 2. And it was just then. And he was so down to earth, and I love his work. And yeah. he was so down to It was right after the movie End of Watch came out with uh, yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal, which oh, I yeah. loved. It was a fantastic film. Oh, it was great. It was a great film. And right after it came out, I literally just seen the movie about oh. one month before. He was so down to earth that my partner behind the bar recognized him. And I was talking to him, like chopping it up, but just about regular shit. He was like a nice guy. Because Michael Payne. I was like, holy shit. Oh. And I said, you know, like, I love your work, you know, this. And um, he's like, thank you, man. We talked about oh. the movie and how fantastic I thought it was. And, that was like a long conversation, though. Yeah. I mean, he was in there for like an hour and a half. We were just like shooting the breeze, telling jokes, oh. goofing, having oh, a great awesome. time. Um, I bust the table that Derek Jeter was sitting at. Amazing. Not really, but it was pretty, it, again, it was pretty <laughs> surreal. Um, yeah. There was, um, when I worked at the sports bar, the uh, Yankees were playing the Angels. Right. He came in with family. I guess he brought family along for the road trip. It was around the time the Lakers were playing the last title Kobe won against the Celtics. It was 2009? Yeah. 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 2009. The last title Kobe won, our bar was packed every game of that seven-game series. Um, So, Derek Jeter, I think the Angels were playing the Yankees. So... Jeter came with his family to watch. They were like the biggest sports bar in the in the city yeah. at the time, and um, so he brought his family to watch to watch the game. I was a busboy at the time. I wasn't even a waiter at the time. I was a busboy, and I was a bus man, bus middleweight <laughs> man. <laughs> um, but I remember just like little interactions. I, I, you you done with that? You still working yeah. on those fries? Like shit, like How that. Funny. Like, How funny. Um, oh, you could take it. Like just that. And I'm like, yeah. did, this, did this just really happen? You know what I mean? And what was funny was sitting next to him was Keyshawn Johnson, um, the football player. Keyshawn was sitting next to him. Um, well, like two tables over. Um, so, like, yeah, we had a bunch of celebrities. Um, the Sons of Anarchy cast always came to our bar. They came, and I waited on them, and they were really, really nice people. Nice. Ron Perlman, if you're watching, Kim Coates. Charlie Hunam, uh, ladies. Charlie Hunam is as nice of a guy as he is good looking. So um, I know I know the ladies like Charlie. Charlie yeah. is the sweetest guy in the world. Like so, um, the nicest people. That whole cast was just amazing. The nicest guys you ever like. Great, great people. Yeah. Um, that was a good experience. Um, Jerry Ferrara from uh, from Entourage yeah. used to come right. a lot. When I worked at the Hard Rock, I um, I was managing, but I waited on uh, managing. I was helping out um, Eric Connolly, E from Entourage, who's also, he's from Long Island. He's a huge Islander fan. 
And so we talked about the Islanders. I know, I know he's grew up like I did watching the Islanders and we talked yeah. about that. And, um, he was a great, great guy, super gracious, super appreciative. Um, and those are shows and I loved and work. I love their work. You know what I mean? So like yeah. that's, that, those are like the more meaning stuff. Not that meeting other people isn't cool, but right. when you have a connection to what they've done, that's awesome. really what it's about. It's not their status to me. You know what I mean? And they're yeah. now, and they're not. That didn't. I could care less yeah. about stuff like that. It's like, did, did I enjoy what they did? Do I enjoy what they do? Then it's kind of more of a thrill. Mm. Right. Very so, good. Yeah. All right, Rob, I'd like two more for you if you have time. Oh, I guess I can fit something in. I don't. All right. I have to do something on Friday though. Just so you know. <laughs> um, well, we'll do our best to get these two in before Friday comes. <laughs> All right. So, uh, in a hundred years from right now, right? Yep. When when all this is said and done, and we've moved on, and you know we we moved to a better place, what do you want people to remember the name as Andy Dubitsky as? I really, back. Yeah. I really only care about what my friends and, and family and the people interacted think about me. I want people to think that I was generous, loyal, that they could depend on me. That's all I really care about. Artistically, I'd like to leave something behind, whether it be intellectual property. I'm working on a, a play now. I'll talk to you about it in another episode. Um, okay. A play, whether it be a movie stream, a movie, a screenplay, a play that I want to like write, star, act in, that's there for posterity, that other actors and then just people could say, you know, I saw that play, it made me feel something, it changed my life, it made me feel better. So many movies have done that. So many movies throughout time have done that. So many plays have done that. I just want to leave something that other people can read or watch and or both and say, that made me feel good. That changed my life. I was in a bad place. That made me laugh, smile, cry, get through something. That's really all I want out of the business. Right. Like I said, you can make money doing anything. If you get a little money for it, it's cool. Yeah. Because what it does is it gives you the opportunity to make more. A lot of artists will say, what I like the most about being famous is that it gave me the chance, not being famous, about being rich, is that it gave me the chance to do other things to do other artistic things. The hardest thing is that you have to make a living doing right. this. You yeah. know, Los Angeles, it says that to live in a one bedroom apartment or, and have a car, you need to make like 35 bucks an hour. And that was like five yes. years ago. So <laughs> you need to make, you know, to survive here, you need to make money, obviously. Right. It, it's a big right. expensive city. It, it's politically, I mean, in my opinion, it's politically screwed up. I don't think it's any secret that most people understand that these major cities and states in this country are, are just economically screwed up right now. Politically, mm -hmm. it's a whole story. But so you need to work your tail off. So the art, the art suffers. Marlon Brando one time said acting is a great job because you can get a, paid a lot of money for doing it when you figure out what you want to do with your life. So which is it's, yeah. it's kind of true. But that's what I'd like to do. I'd like just enough to where I could just make art and just if it affects some people in a positive way and it outlives me, that's really all I really want to be remembered for. And the people that were closest to me that I just want them to know I cared about them. Well, I could for sure say that is 100% true about how you care about everyone mm -hmm. that, you know, 
you come across, and as far as being loyal, I've always said to everyone, if I could explain you, right, if I could explain Andy Dubitsky in one scene of a movie, and I think you may have seen this movie before, and it's called The Town. Have you seen The Town? The scene in the movie when Ben Affleck knocks on his friend's door and he says, hey, yeah, I need a favor. You can't ask a question. You can never ask ever anything about it. And his friend says, whose car are we taking? Mine or yours? And he says, we got to hurt people. Yeah, yeah. So I probably misquoted the, the exact no, you got it. line you got of it. it. But you got it. He knocks on the door and says, I need a favor from you. I can't tell you what it is. You can never ask about it, and we're going to hurt some people. And he says, yeah, oh, we take the mind of yours. And that's the one scene that I would always explain who Andy Dubitsky is. You know, and thank you, man. And, I, and you're the exact same person. Like, you're the exact same person. And that's why we get along so well. When I was younger, I always felt, I always looked at people, and I said, my God, this kid's got so much athletic ability. Oh my God, this kid's so strong, he's this. And I'm like, but I wanted to fit in with people like that. I think most of us do, right? Most men want to fit in yeah. with men that can are athletic and strong and tough and stuff. But inevitably, somebody's always going to be stronger and tougher and better athlete and stuff. And I said, well, you're not really that guy. You're not the, you're not like the alpha athlete. You're not the alpha this. You're not the alpha that. But so how do you have a seat at the table among people that, kind of like in the mix, whoever it be, sports, entertainment. Mm -hmm. The one thing you could always do is show up and help and be present. You don't really need any talent for that. It's the same thing with friendship. You don't have to be the richest friend. You don't have to bring all this kind of stuff to the table. But if you're a good friend, that's all you need. So you can always be a good friend. And what's life without that? What kind of person are you if, if your friend's can't depend on you. Your family can't depend on you. What kind of person are you? What what good are you? I, I mean that. I mean, not to judge anyone, but what, what's your value, right? Anybody has money. There's millions of scumbags with money. There's millions of scumbags that can do this. And, but if, if you if you bring love and friendship to uh, to a situation, then then you'll always be a, then then your life was was worth something. Um, another great movie line. Um, You've seen the movie Young Guns? Yeah, right. Yep, yep. First Young Guns. And it's, and listen, it's the move the scene works because it's a good because Chavez, the Native American, has a good point. He's like, I can't do this four on four or five on one hundred war, Billy, saying to Billy the Kid. I can't do this. I have to go make my people live. I have to go back and I have to survive. I'm, you know, because he's a Native American. He was a Navajo. I can't just have this kamikaze mission where um, just for some like some type of you know piousness or self righteousness. But then, and it makes a lot of sense. But then Billy says to him, he says, "But you're part of our tribe now." He says, "If you have three or four good pals, that's a sacred hoop. There's nothing stronger than that. Right. So if you leave, you break our sacred hoop." And of course he stays and yeah. they win the war and that kind of stuff. And, but those, but those things are true, you know, and you learn those growing up and, and New Yorkers have an advantage because we grow up very close to each other physically. We grow up in neighborhoods back in the day, inevitably somebody always wanted to beat up somebody on your street and 
You couldn't let them get beat up and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have to be the strongest guy, the toughest guy, but you just show up. You just be there so your friend doesn't take the beating by himself. You don't have to, you know what I mean? And that's really what, that's really what friendship is about. Because literally or figuratively, we all get a beating in life. Mm. And so if your friend loses his job, well, he's getting a beating. Right. She's getting a beating. Your friend gets divorced. Well, they're getting a beating. So you just got to be there. You don't have to fix the relationship. You don't have to give them a great new spouse. You don't have to give them mm-hmm. all your money. You just be there. And, Pretty and simple. You, you always have been, always since day one. You try, bro. You try. You too. You, you too, brother. You've always been there for me, man. Always. All right. Just, so, just, so far, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't need to cut you that's off. That's it. No, no, no. Yeah. That's it, bro. All right. So, so final question here. I, I'd like to know this also. This is something I'm interested in. One thing that people might be surprised to know about you that uh, we may not already know. One thing. Yeah. I mean, some people know. What's that? Some people know this. I'm trying to think something other people might not know. Okay. I am a huge animal lover, and I completely, completely go to pieces when I'm around kittens. I love dogs. I love big dogs. I love big lions and cats and all that kind of shit. Crazy dogs and pit bulls, I love yeah. it. But I love, love kittens. Nice. Seriously, I'm not just saying that. I like I'm it. Not, no, I mean, I it's it. just the way it is. It's like, yeah. But I'm, I, like I, I mean, I would say I'm a, I'm a big animal lover. Yeah. I'm a really, awesome. really big animal lover. That's great. Um, to the to the point where I even struggle, you know, with with eating. I, I'm not a vegan. Mm. I've, I've I've done vegetarianism for a while. It was great. Kind of needed a protein source again. Don't really like to do the plant-based stuff. So, yes, I eat, you know, like I'll eat meat, I'll eat mm. animals and stuff like that. But but I love animals. So there's a little contradiction there. I get it. But I'm a huge animal lover. I think some people close to me, but maybe other people might. I'm a little rough around the edges. So I love, like, kittens or, like, the dodo, those those videos. <laughs> Uh-huh. You know, like like a like a crippled animal or something. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Caught, yeah. caught in a sewer and they save it or something. <laughs> like I fucking can watch those all day long. <laughs> like I literally go back between gangster pictures, war pictures, and videos of small defenseless animals being killed. <laughs> those are like my three favorite things to watch. That's great. You know, anything anything with with like violence and stuff, and because those situations bring out character. Right, yeah. that's, that's what right. we love about sports. That's what we love about street fights. We love yeah. things like that because not that you know those are great things all the time, but because it does show people's character, right? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and I like to sing karaoke. That's another thing, and I'm terrible. I am the worst. But would, 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 would you like to give us? Would you like to give us some right now? No, no, right some other time. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, Andy, where, where can people keep up with you? Because I know. Uh, you, you post some hilarious, hilarious videos. Yeah. Us to, uh... I mean, right now, like it's on Facebook, like Facebook and Instagram, like Andy Seven Dubs. I don't have my YouTube channel up okay. or anything yet, but I'm working on it. I'm definitely, definitely working on a YouTube channel. Like I said, my name is Andy Dubitsky on Facebook. I'm Andy something Seven Dubs. Picture me with a fedora on on uh, on Instagram. There's some goofy little videos on there, but as far as like a YouTube channel and things like that, I don't have that up yet. I'm still writing scripts. I'm still acting. We've been in a weird holding pattern with acting here now. Um, and to be honest with you, a lot of 
and I give so much props and so much credit to the people doing Zoom acting classes, Zoom productions, fucking keep doing it. It's just something in my 45-year-old mind. I'm like, I'm still got to get, I'm still waiting until things open mm-hmm. where I can just jump back into the stage and do projects. You know what I mean? I'm just waiting and waiting because it's just what I'm used to. But um, So unfortunately, I haven't been doing a whole bunch of that. But yeah, I think things are going to start opening up again really soon and um like i said when i have more youtube content and stuff i'll definitely shoot it your way awesome well we're gonna tag your uh your social media to this episode and yeah. uh when that youtube is, is up and ready let's let's do a part two because we, we have we have more we want to talk to you about definitely man this is great just great chopping it up this is great all right well uh You're andy good, dubitsky man. thank you so much for joining us on the anything goes podcast we, that's uh, just a blast, man. Yeah, like I said, any, if anyone has any questions about, like I said, about living out here in Hollywood and stuff, and like I said, just one more thing. It's just you got to put the work in, and part of it is hustling, doing side jobs, doing, you know, like waiting tables, tending bar, driving Lyft, driving Uber, like whatever you need to do. Right. That's all part of it. You know, like they, that's all part of it. But like I said, learn the craft. Learn the craft become invested in it and you'll be happy it doesn't make you you won't worry you'll you won't worry about the other things and ironically that's when the big stuff starts happening for people perfect so that would be it all right brother thanks so much we will be in touch and uh looking forward to part two it's gonna be great i gotta finish this cigar now so (laughs) thanks for your time andy you're the best anytime call me and let's do this again real soon we'll do perfect ciao all right bye-bye Hey, Alex. Yeah? Tell these fine-looking people where they can find us. Well, they could find us on Instagram at AnythingGoesPodNY, on Twitter at AnythingGoesNY, and shoot us an email at AGPodNY at gmail.com. That's right. And y'all can listen to all of our episodes on any streaming platform where podcasts can be found. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Because anything goes with Greg and Alex. Phone home, phone home, phone home! So how about that? How about that? How about it, my boy, Andy Dubitsky? I have one bone to pick with him. Uh-oh. Just one. You want to do so, it now? Yeah, do right it. now. I'm not waiting. <laughs> Andy, oh boy, you started it up. <laughs> um, so... This interview was done via Zoom. Yes, it was. And real nice that he's sitting outside on his balcony in the beautiful California sun with seagulls chirping, or whatever seagulls do, <laughs> cawing, whatever they do. Caw-caw! <laughs> While we're here, stuck in the house Caw-caw! with two feet of snow outside, yeah. and it's like 19 degrees. We are, so yes. So thank you for that. And this is, actually, tonight we're having like our third snowstorm in like a week. Oh, please. It just keeps piling on. I mean, for real. I envy you. I'm. Eh, it's not a bone to pick. I just envy you. I wish I was there. <laughs> yes, we do. I miss it. I, it's been a while since we've it's, been there. Yes. In 2016, we went. Wow. Yeah. So I miss it. But uh, was it that long ago? 2016. So. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay, but uh, we've been we've visited Andy out there twice. 
See, we this is what happened when yeah, we... Yeah, three um, times? Yeah, it's either two or three times, I forget. Yeah, two or three times. Um, we stayed with them a couple of times. We did. In Hollywood. We did. Which was tons of fun. Yeah. Uh, we went to a couple of the places he worked at. Yeah, yeah. Which was awesome. Did. He took mm-hmm. care of us. That's, he always shows he us does. around. He always shows us like the good spots to go to. He always Good knows. spots? You're telling me a, oh, a no, no. 17,000 foot high mountain to trail up listen, is a good spot? Listen. Are you kidding me? I read, see, I wish I could probably look up where, what that mountain is because all celebrities like hike up this big giant mountain. It's like in Hollywood somewhere or something like that. And I actually read like a week later that Ryan Reynolds was up there. Yeah. And I was like, I'm oh sure my God, they imagine. all are. Yeah. That's why they're in such good shape. Well, that's the beauty of the West Coast is that the weather is so nice you could just be outdoors all day every day and it's not all day if you work but you know every day so but that mountain was huge we actually walked up to the hollywood sign that was a different one yes a different trip well this one that he took us up i'll before the end of this i will find out the name of it um i think no guarantees but we went up and when we got to the top though it was was very nice you saw all of i guess la it was beautiful. It just—it was too much sweat in my eyes to even see, <laughs> so so I couldn't really enjoy the and view. And remember that one guy, Andy knew was like a personal trainer or something. This huge—this guy was like ten feet tall. Pancho. Was that his name? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if it was his birth name, no, but how do you remember yeah. that? I, you don't forget a guy like Pancho. I know he was a big you dude. Don't, yeah. Him and was. one other person were doing it, and, and they, they lapped, lapped us. us. Yeah. I, I think he was actually like a um, overseas professional basketball player. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do yeah, believe, I think I yeah. That, actually. yeah. He played professional ball. Yeah. yeah he's, he's a big dude. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so we stayed with Andy a couple of times. We went to Disneyland with him. Yes, we did. That was tons of fun. It we was. had pictures of us on Splash Mountain with him. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a great one. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a lot of fun. He, uh, he definitely, like we said before, makes sure to come home multiple times a year to see his friends and his family. Yeah. And that's something we love about him. And, you know, he always makes time to see everyone. I don't know where this guy finds the time to sleep. <laughs> I don't think he uh, does sleep. It's awesome. And another thing I love about him is that I could be having, you know, like a rough day and, you know, a lot of things going on. And I could just call him at any mm-hmm. hour of the day and he'll answer. And we could just talk for, you know, an hour, two hours. And time goes by and I don't even realize. And, just like that, things are like better, and yeah. he just puts me in a good state of front, state of mind, and mm-hmm. my mind is just back to where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and he's a good dude. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, whenever we're with him, or even sometimes I hear you on the phone with him, the the humor between you two, I can't. It is just, it makes me crack up, crying, laughing. Just the stories you guys tell, and the just the, the back and forth you guys have with each other. And it's funny because if you don't know them, Greg and Andy, and they're kind of going back and forth, you're like, are they, are they they're, they're, they're so serious that you don't know if they're being serious or joking around until they eventually, like 30 minutes down the line, start laughing. Yeah. But it's, oh right. man, it's funny. And Andy's been there for me for quite a few times. Yeah. One of them being a court case I had to go to. <laughs> <laughs> and to speak in front of the judge. That's a funny story. And if there's one place I want to never want to bring Andy back to, is a court case yeah, in front I, of a judge. I don't know why you thought it was a good idea, 
uh, to bring. I've heard the story of like the man who was running through different doors and it was yeah, like a it cartoon. Was, yeah, it was like a cartoon. A guy goes out one door and in another and then out this door and in another and it was like a courtroom with like four different doors or five different doors and the same guy kept walking in one door and out the other and um, I, I have to make a speech to a judge and Andy just making me laugh the whole time. And it, Let's it didn't just clarify really... it wasn't that serious of a like charge. Uh, it, was just, it was in the state of New Jersey and New Jersey charges everything like it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, it, it was, yeah. Well, okay. it was, like, oh, you didn't okay. kill anyone. No, it, it, it wasn't for murder or attempted murder. <laughs> or anything serious that, that could hurt or harm anyone. Yeah, yeah that's let's true. Let's just say that, okay. That's true. I don't it, it was a self-inflicted. It was a stupid, how old yeah. are you? 23? Yeah. It was a stupid 23-year-old. Okay. Fair it's enough. Not mis- I mean, it wasn't a mistake. It's actually pretty funny. Yeah. Well, that's for another episode. Let's yeah. continue on okay. with Andy Dubitsky. Um, <laughs> another great story that... Uh, what's the word? Indirectly links links to Andy mm-hmm. is that when we went to see him, right? You'll remember this, and we, you know, flew into LAX airport. Yeah, yes. And it was like one a.m. in the morning, mm-hmm. and we were trying to find a cab service. Oh, to get to Andy. My goodness. And there was see, okay no cabs that Real time. Real quick. Yeah. This story. Thank goodness that me and you were with each other for it. Yes. Because if it's a one-person story, if one person tells you the story, even the two of us that are about to tell the story, it it doesn't seem real. Right. I'm I'm gonna just kind of get to it. Yeah, go. Quicker because it's it's a long story. And, yeah. And this was the days before Uber and Lyft. Yeah. So there was no Uber. There was no Lyft. There was none of that. This was probably like 2012 or something around that. I don't know if that's completely accurate. Uh, Maybe like Lyft was just starting on the West Coast, but wasn't really a thing yet that at least we knew about. Right. But uh, we landed in the airport like 1 a.m. And we weren't renting a car because Andy had a car and we didn't need one there. And we were looking for a cab. There was no cabs around. Like, I don't know. It was so weird for LAX you know, an airport to not have a cab service. Yeah. There was just none. It was a strange thing. We and it was like 1 a.m. We were like 45 minutes away from Hollywood. And we're like, we're kind of stranded here at the airport. And Andy was working at this point. Right, so it's right. not even like, I don't want to call him. Be like, hey, leave work. To come right, pick us up. Right. Which he would have. And that's why I didn't want to call exactly. him. Exactly. So uh, we're kind of just standing there. We're like, what do we do? We have our bags. And we start talking to some, some guy. Yeah. And we're like, hey, do you know how we get to, you know, this address? wherever Andy's job was. And he's like, oh yeah, I know where that is. I'll take you. Yes. And we're like, what do you mean you'll take us? He's like, yeah, I'll take he's, you. I'm passing that way. Yeah. I'll and we're like, you. how much? He's like, don't worry about it. Yeah. And we're like, okay, this guy's either the nicest man in the world or he's going to kill us. Yeah. And with and that being said, we're like, all right, let's go. <laughs> Listen, yeah. we're from New York. Take risks. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if we're going to trust someone, it's going to be on the other side of the country, right. not and, in New York. And I mean, we're, we're tough enough that we can defend ourselves if, you know, oh, we were ready. anything went down. Yeah. And uh, he brought us to some, like, weird, well, like... Well, this is where it started... I mean, it got weird from the beginning, but yeah. he's like, okay, we should have to go to my car. Now, we're thinking, okay, there's, like, a parking garage, like, right there, you know, yeah. not too far. In no, the parking garage was, like, a 15-minute walk. Right. And it was, like, dark alleys. And yeah. And then we get to his car. It's this little rinky-dink car. And he had to... His back seat was packed with stuff. And yeah. he had to clear out the back seat, put it all in his trunk. And then... Now, th- th- this is where the story gets almost not believable. But I swear on yes. any... Make me swear on anything, I will swear on it. We swear on this podcast, on the Anything Goes podcast. Yes. We're kind of making small talk with him. 
and it's like, hey, what's your name? You're like, oh, I'm Greg, I'm Alex, yeah. what's your name? His name was? Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan. And he was a, um, he was a Chinese man. We, we asked him all these questions. He's a Chinese man. Um, he's living now in LA for work and all this stuff. And he was like, yeah, my name's Jackie Chan. We're like, that's your given name? Like, are you, you know, sometimes you, people change their names to something so they get noticed. Right. Nope. This was his given name. I mean, from what he told us. Right. But I don't We know. didn't see his he birth was a certificate. super, like, sweet, innocent yes. man. All right? I'm saying is this. This this fellow was driving. Mm-hmm. We didn't know where we were going. We didn't know the streets. We're not familiar with, you know, downtown LA or Hollywood or any of that. So he's driving. I'm like, is he driving us in the right direction? Is he going to try to rob us? Mm-hmm. I, you know, he, he turned out to be the nicest guy oh my gosh. in the world. Drove us 45 minutes just to drive, just to, you know, do somebody a favor. Yeah, just to drop and us off. the entire time, I hate to say it, but I was sitting behind him. And I had like clenched fists. Well, we were ready like, to go. Yeah, just in case. Listen, you got to be prepared. You can't just have your guard down. Like, oh, okay, everyone's. Yeah. We weren't gonna do anything to him, but we were. No, ready but for just it. in case, you know, he pulls something out. Like, you know, I'm I'm gonna swing. Well, you're gonna be ready. Yeah. Right. right. And uh, but he drove us to to Andy's restaurant. Mm-hmm. And we're like, thank you so much. Like, what can we give you? Nothing, nothing, nothing. He would. We tried to give him money, and he wouldn't take. Yeah. Like, Please come. We'll buy you food. No, right. No, I even said, okay. come into the restaurant. You know, dinner on us. We'll, we'll get you drinks. We'll get you food. Whatever you want. No, no, no. Enjoy. Have a good time. Thank you. Such a Never nice man. Never to see or speak to him again. So, Jackie Chan, if you're listening to this, <laughs> you're the best. You are the best. Well, second best to Andy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually funny. Real quick thing about like how we were like super on guard with everything. In our previous episode with Arturo, he, well, he actually didn't say this, but he he's, he has said this before in the past, that he finds it so, like, bizarre that in California, people, like, leave their car doors unlocked and, you know, people just have their doors open in their house and they're more, like, lenient and, like, kind of laid back, where in New York, like, you think everyone's up to something. And you're like yeah. on edge about everybody, so it's that's kind of where that was heading. Yeah, over to I mean, I, I definitely wasn't looking to fight the guy, but I was gonna defend us if if need be. Me too. But thankfully, there was no need for it, and this guy turned out to be super nice, and he gave us a ride from the airport to Hollywood for you know free of charge. Yeah, nicest man. Yeah, so we went uh, hitchhiking. We, hitch- we did. We hitchhiked. We hitchhiked. Which. Yeah. I don't suggest it though. No, it worked you can't out for these us, days. You can't anymore. No, definitely not now. Yeah. But you could barely take an Uber safely. <laughs> exactly, I know. So, uh, so that was a funny story that you know links with with Andy. Yeah. We also spent Valentine's Day with him in Hollywood our in a pizzeria. Trip. We did. We did. Yeah. It, that was our first trip. It was our first night. Mm-hmm. In California, in uh, it was, we were on Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah. And we were just and seeing all the crazies and all the fun you know uh, characters that are out there similar to like Times Square yeah but nicer weather <laughs> and uh yeah you heard me interview me me and Andy go back like what 2004 now yeah and we had our share of you know nights out and met games and me and him actually uh reenacted a a one-on-one matchup a fist fight matchup during at a met game you did? Yeah. It wasn't a real one, but I don't know. I, I don't know how it happened, but we were roughing up a little bit, and we were going at it, and security came running over. And I they thought you, you were actually, the story. Oh, yes. And they thought yeah. you were actually and, fighting. And security, yeah, came running over, and oh, he, got, yes. he got in between us. I heard this. And he said, you know, guys, you got to come with me, because it, it was, you know, it looked serious. But we were just kind of, you know, 
I, what do you like being boys yeah boys being boys i guess you know and but of Stupid. course you know our ego gets a lot and we start you know trading blows and this and that oh my god and we were on field level and everybody like on the upper levels were like looking down of and watching course. us like, look at these idiots yeah and, you know well a few of them thought we were really going at that's it too saying, but yeah, yeah you know no i'm that's why i'm saying yeah, look at right these right idiots. and then security comes over and you know grabs us breaks up oh my god and security says hey you know you guys have to come with us and Annie says all right sir i'm gonna come with you but before that i just have one question for you he says what the hell is that and he points in the other direction the security guard looks and then he just takes off running away and what happened with you I stood. I didn't know he was running away, and all like five thousand people in the stands, hysterical <laughs> laughing at the security guard, because that security guard he got he got, got he got got he, he got, got got yeah by the what the hell is that over there and he and points and I he just, looks and then he runs ask off. Can you a question now? Yes. Yes. Is this is Andy where you got that from? Uh yeah, <laughs> it was <laughs> because let me tell you, in the twelve years I've known Greg. Uh, you've probably done that. Oh, I couldn't even count. Yeah, but um, and security guard was just so dejected and just so like embarrassed. He kind of just walked away. He didn't even. Yeah, he you know just... what I think the weirdest part of the story is? What's that? That you were field level. Yeah. Well, we uh, we have our ways. Yeah. You yeah. Did the... We have our ways. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, a lot of fun times with Andy Dubitsky. Oh, of course. And if you. Want to laugh? Need to laugh? Follow this guy on social media. Oh, he is yes. hysterical. I literally will. Greg will be in another room, and I'm like, Greg, Andy posted a video. He's so. Yeah. And you'll it, by watching these. That's our food heating up. Sorry if you just heard <laughs> that thing. Um, if you watch these videos, you'll understand the humor that I'm talking about when it comes to like what I meant before the way Greg and Andy talk. Andy has this like he stays serious through anything. Like yeah. he is meant to be in television or just comedy or something because he just stays so serious but says like the funniest thing oh man it's well, great he, he put his time in he did he went to many acting he, classes no he's a great improver i think he just i understand and, and he that. has a natural born yes. talent yes. yes for sure yeah that's something you're born with but he also it's not like he just you know didn't work at this also he, he puts, oh i know you know years and years into this i know and he writes scripts mm-hmm. he's you know working on on movies he's he's a busy man and he still finds time to be there for any of us when we need him at for any reason at all even just for a laugh and that's what his videos are for and they're quick videos they'll be like a couple minutes maybe like you know from like a minute to like a couple minutes oh man they're funny but my favorite part of it of these videos one i get to see him and it's like oh man this andy still being andy and two it's like andy where and how do you think of this yeah. stuff? Oh, that's what makes like, me laugh. He just sees random, you know, things in the street, in in the store, anywhere, and he cuts like a two, three minute video on it, and it's hysterical. It's so funny. And it's like, man, he's in that way, he's a genius. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. Especially now, it, he's smart. Also, because in today's day and age, that's what it's all about: being on social media, yep. being funny, being entertaining. And goodness, he needs to be. I'm glad. This is the one time I like social media. Yeah, right. Because he deserves to be seen. It's so funny. For sure. So yeah. please follow him. Check him out. We're going to link this, his his uh, social media, this episode. Yep. And follow him and add him as a friend and hit him up. Talk to him. He definitely, you know, will talk to you. He's the nicest guy. So mm-hmm. he, loves, he loves a lot of stuff. Yeah. And he's a big sports guy. Yeah. So 
uh, Met fan. And... He's he's probably not too happy about uh, the wonderful, wonderful thing that happened at the Super Bowl this past Sunday. Seven time. Seven time. Super Bowl champ. Seven time. The GOAT. Yes. Tom How could Brady. we have an episode and not mention this? Right. So sorry, Andy. But just yeah. had to mention it quick. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a big Islander fan. Yes, he is. Big New York Giant fan and big Met fan. He's a tattoo of the Mets. I was going to say that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's dedication. Yeah. And that's who he is. He's dedicated. He is. So uh, check him out. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Andy truly is one of my greatest best friends in this world. Mm-hmm. And I wish him all the best. And I'm definitely upset that he lives so far, but loved I get to see him multiple times a year. Definitely. And that'll be forever. And we'll come visit you soon. Yes, we will. For sure. Soon enough. Once all this COVID nonsense is yeah. done with, hopefully soon we will be there. Yeah. Soaking in the sun with you on your deck listening to the seagulls do what they do <laughs> <laughs> and uh we all know that we always have a place to stay with andy that's true and you always have a place to stay with us for sure <laughs> you do so uh, all right anything else you want to say before um, we wrap this up no that's it i love you andy i miss you um i love that you always gang up on greg with me yeah i appreciate that yeah real nice <laughs> real real nice so uh all right that's that Go check them out and uh, go see Curb Your Enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Go see Iron Man 2. He's in a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, hit him up. He'll tell you exactly when and where, what episode, what part of the movie he's in so you mm-hmm. can uh, so you can see him. Yeah. So, all right. That's that. We're going to wrap this up. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Anything Goes podcast. I was so honored to have Andy and sit with us and just give us so much time and so much insight into what Hollywood is. Mm-hmm. The uh, ins and outs, goods and bads, and truths and more truths. <laughs> I don't know if those words make sense, but, but you that's got what it. he gave us. You get it. So, uh, all right. Hit us up. Uh, let us know what you think. Mm-hmm. And hit Andy up. Let yeah. him know what you think because he'd right. love to hear from you. So, until next time, I am Greg, a.k.a. Crazy Greg, a.k.a. Pooh Bear. And I am Alex, a.k.a. Um, just Alex. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. We appreciate it really more than you will ever know. So until next time, be good, be crazy, and we'll see you real soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Anything Goes podcast with Greg and Alex. See you real soon. Suckers.